Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. If you're a Miami parent and you're here, I know, I made you raise your hand in church. God, I love that they're here and I thank you that you see them. And I pray that they would feel your love, that as they came here today, maybe with their student for the first time, that you knew they'd be here. You knew everything about them before they were. And I pray, God, that they would have holy encounter after holy encounter, that this time, right here, this Sunday, would set a fire in their heart to know you. And I thank you for parents. I pray that you would encourage them. Uh, They have Miami students, obviously, so I pray that you would give them wisdom of how to guide their kids as they get older and get out of the house. Thank you for parents that'll stand with their kids. And so, Lord, bless them with your peace, with your life, with who you are. The second group uh, was just, are there any farmers, like farmer families, people just in harvest right now in this room? There's Melissa. We got at least one, which is funny because I was praying this morning, Melissa, and I really felt like God was like, tell her I see her because it's probably a lonely time. You don't probably see him a whole lot. So, Lord, we just bless the farmers and even especially the farmers' wives and the kids in the whole endeavor, that you would keep them safe, that you would give them strength. And I thank you that uh, you said that there's a time to sow, a time to reap, and all this. And so, Lord, in your timing, thank you for good harvest this year. Bless those families and keep them. Lord, we love your presence. I love your presence. I love everything about you. And I thank you that we get to open up this thing we call the Word of God. And I ask, Father, for power from on high that it would literally be like fire in our bones, that it would cut and it would divide, that it would move us to look more like Jesus. We wouldn't just hear it, we would live it and do it. Thank you for every single person in this room. I love them, and I thank you for the honor it is to open your Word and talk about you. Will you do the talking? In Jesus' name, amen? Thanks for letting me be me. I like praying more than I like talking. Uh, What we're going to do is look at the book of Hebrews, and we're going to be in chapter 1 and chapter 2 this week. Uh, And there's a lot of chapters of Hebrews, so we're probably not hitting them all by the end of the next three weeks. But there's one theme in this book, and it's Jesus is better. And I love that theme. I would tattoo that on my body if my wife would let me get any more tattoos. Jesus is better. And it is an anthem of my life because I've, I've said this so many times in church, I haven't found a drug, I haven't found a woman, I haven't found anything better than Jesus. Nothing it compares to him. And what you have happening in the book of Hebrews is, it's a letter, as all the epistles are, to a real people in a real place. And we don't even know who the author is. So people like to fight about that. I don't even care who the author is. All I know is in the apostolic community, In the New Testament early church, they were like, this is the word of God, and we heed it as such. And it was written to a group of people that were very Jewish in their mindset. And so when they first came to Christ, it seems, if you study it, they were excited. They were like, Jesus is worth everything, and then real life fit. Has that ever happened to you? Where you're like, I'm going to follow Jesus, and then it's going to be sunshine and rainbows. Except then it's not. So in their context, they had severe persecution. They were suffering for belonging to Jesus. 
if they were Jewish from their past, they're still trying to reconcile. I don't understand how Jesus is this new covenant thing. What about the old one? Why don't we sacrifice? It was just like all that tension that they felt. And sometimes we feel that. So sometimes we come to Jesus and we're like, all right, I thought when I accepted Jesus, it was just going to be wealth and health and goodness all the days of my life. Now, here's the reality. The blessing and the reality of God's goodness is real. I feel it in my life. But when the Hebrews author is writing, what he's trying to get them to do is go, if, if it's pain, blessed be the Lord. If it's goodness, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's hard to do. You can lose sight of Jesus in both those things. And hardship, you can lose sight of Jesus. And in immense wealth and blessing, you can lose sight of Jesus, yeah? Why did I say yeah again? I'm keep doing this, the yeah thing. So if I, as I do it, just be like, yeah, yeah, okay. So don't give up is the theme of this message. Because I, I, I see it on some of you. You came to Jesus and you're like, well, now that I've come to Jesus, then, well, he's gonna give me the perfect spouse. And then you got married and your spiritual life didn't get easier, it got harder. And you're like, what the what, Lord? And then you, some of you, you're like, oh, I came to Jesus and now I, it was supposed to get easier following God, but you feel like it got harder. The book of Hebrews is for you. The book of Hebrews is like, keep your faith high. Make sure that your faith is not waning. Do not neglect this Jesus and it is a hard book, but we're gonna read Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. We're gonna read that chunk, and then we're gonna go line by line by line by line, because that's the only way I know how to teach the Bible. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So let's go line by line. And if you're wondering who this Jesus is that you say you have hope in is, he's going to tell us who Jesus is. And here's a good Bible study tool. When you read the Bible, don't look for you. The first thing is, what's it tell me about God? Okay, that's the first question as we study the Bible. What's it tell me about God? Not what does it tell me about me? As Americans, we go here and go, where can I find me? I'm obviously David in the David and Goliath story. You're not. So where's God in it first? What's he about? And so it says, long ago, at many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. I love that statement because it tells me a couple things about God. Number one, he speaks. He's not mute. He's not hiding. He has given revelation of who he is, and he does that with his voice. So he speaks to the prophets long ago, many times. Flip the whole front half of your Bible, the Old Testament. What is God doing? Speaking revealing, showing up, and in crazy cool ways through visions and dreams. And we can go through all these, and you can be like, yeah, 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 he used to do all that stuff. But my, my favorite verse right now is that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if God is speaking this way back here, I love the idea that right now, God could catch you up and start speaking to you. Now, within line with scripture, don't get crazy. And it's the God who speaks. And primarily, you'll see this all, like, 
John the Baptist is a voice crying out in the wilderness. So picture a man with a bullhorn. Repent, the kingdom's coming. Where did he get that revelation from? God spoke to him. The prophets show up. It's almost like the prophets have a cell phone with God, right? And they're like, all right, God, you want me to tell the people? I got it. And then they go tell the people. This is happening. God writes on the wall with his fingers. God sends angels to speak his will. God burns in bushes. God's inspiring worship songs in the Psalms. God even, guys, he even inspired a book of erotic poetry in the Song of Solomon. Like, how cool is God? Amen, men? Everyone's not wanting to talk to me at nine o'clock, but I'll get weird if you want me to, all right? Like, so can we just, God is real and he's occupied human spaces for since we've existed because he created us to know him. And if, he, if he's really the real God, then he speaks, he hears, he sees, he knows. And so long ago, at many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse two, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now that's a pretty good translation, but what it really would go down into is in his son, in son. Not by his son, but his son is the message. Why is Jesus the message of God? Because he is him. He be the him. Good English, I know. He be him. So when you see Jesus in the New Testament, this is why I love Jesus, you know what God's like. You know how he treats people. You know that when he finds someone that's broken in their sin, he doesn't push them away. He's like, get over here, go free. Your sins are forgiven. When he finds somebody that that system was holding down because maybe they had leprosy, maybe they were a woman, Maybe they, all those structures existed in the old Jewish cultures. Jesus goes in and blows those systems up and goes, this is what God is like. Now in these last days, God has spoken to us. In who? In his son, Jesus Christ. Now, in these last days is interesting, so I want you to think of the timeline of humanity in kind of three phases. The first phase, creation and fall, all right? So Genesis 1, in the beginning was... Nine o'clock, I'm gonna start yellow preaching at you if you don't start talking to me. In the beginning was God, all right? Or in the beginning was the word if you're in John. Genesis three, what happens? It all goes to pot. They eat the fruit that they were forbidden to eat. Humanity is plunged into sin. So literally there's a connection between God and man and in that act of disobedience, the connection. So then everyone born of Adam, the first Adam, is born into and then Jesus Christ shows up. So you have creation and fall, and then you have Israel, all the covenants, all the temple structures and sacrifices, and then you have this last days, the days of Jesus and his church. Jesus shows up and literally kicks off, inaugurates in a whole new shift of historical, like re revelation of God, of the kingdom of God of the church of Jesus Christ on the earth declaring the glory and the presence of the Lord is now with us. This is major shifts in his, like we're not in a temple right now, yeah? I, yeah, I did it again. I don't, I'm not up here with a flint knife like gutting animals for you, right? I'm glad. So in these last days, there's this moment where God speaks with an, an authority and a listen up. And if they won't listen to this, I don't know what they're, not gonna, what they're gonna listen to. And it's a great thing to have in your head 
because this is going to be helpful. If you ever encounter a Mormon, if you ever encounter a Muslim, they're going to talk about Muhammad. They're going to talk about Joseph Smith. And you point at this verse. And you say, God spoke by his son with a definitive thud in history. And we believe that message is the truth. And so what we have here is you have the apostles testifying to what they witnessed. We watched Jesus Christ rise from the dead. It's trustworthy, it's true, it's gonna get hard, they're gonna beat you, you're gonna lose your stuff, you're gonna suffer, but if you suffer, suffer well, keep your faith high, Jesus is worthy. That's the message of Hebrews. We could go home, but we're not. He begins then to peel back layers on who Jesus is. And I'm convinced that if you and I could see Jesus right now with our naked eyes, we can encounter him, we would see him, which is why I'm like, you gotta study this book, study the Son of God, you will willingly give him all things. But where you get your eyes on the earth and the world and what's going on around you, you're like, I'd rather hold on to this for as long as possible. I like to get as comfortable as possible. But if you see Jesus for who he is, you're like, wow, he's better than any of that. And he is better than any of that. So it, he begins to tell us, well, who's this Jesus? And if I asked you, if we went to Taco Bell after this and got us a tostada crunch, sat face to face, and I was like, tell me, who's Jesus? What do you tell me? And now some of you are good Christian kids. You popped up, flew down that pew right into a baptismal, and you could give me all the church answers. But do you know the living son of God? See, I, I talked with him this morning on the way here. And this is gonna sound weird, but he told me, pray for Melissa this morning. He told me to pray for another person. They're just not here yet, so I'll do that second service. Why? Because he's alive. And he's real, and he's worth giving my attention to, giving my heart to, and he, I love when he shows up. But who is he? Well, verse two. Is it verse two? Whom he, okay, but in these last days, he spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Now, some of you are dealing with this right now. Anybody have a will in this room? They told me I had to write one a few years ago. It was, I was like, I guess my kids get it all, right? That's the idea here. Everything that God, everything's going to the son. The whole point of the whole thing was to go, wow, Jesus. The father's pleased to go, this is my son who I'm well pleased and so with, with Jesus, the writer is trying to get us to go, man, picture a father preparing his estate, getting his things in orders so that he can bless his son with it. This is the picture of Jesus. He's not just a poor Galilean Nazarene. He's literally going to inherit all the creation. In fact, he's the one that spoke it into being. Verse two again. Through him, he also created the world and upholds the universe by the word of his power. So we, we have Jesus as 9.2 ounce golden fleece diaper Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews is like, you're dealing with something way bigger. You're dealing with someone who has the power to create the whole world. Who actually, this is the picture, here's his hand, and he's holding it together. So if he decided to not hold it together, what would happen? If God all of a sudden was like, I don't want Andrew Holsworth to exist in 2022 on the stage, guess what's happening to me? It wouldn't even be a pup. It would just be like, where'd he go? God decided. That should 
cripple our minds a little. That should make us in awe a little bit. That should make us want to worship. And what should we be afraid of? Nothing. He created all things. And now, my wife was geeking out about these satellite images of stars. You see all these cool images that are coming out from all, all over space these days? And then some people are like, see God. I'm like, There's a, God doesn't exist. I'm like, see God. How big is he? Elizabeth Elliot, who was the wife of a man that got killed as a missionary, she said this. Think about this. If the distance between the earth and the sun, 92 million miles, was the thickness of one sheet of paper, I have one. Then the distance from the earth to the nearest stack would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. That's this ceiling plus a couple. This is 30, I believe. And the diameter of our galaxy would be a stack of paper 310 miles high. Our galaxy is only a speck of dust in the universe. And if there is a person who holds all that together by the word of his power, is this the kind of person you ask in your life to be your personal assistant? Does that put the weight, that you feel that? This is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get them to do because they're sitting here on the edge of eternity going, man, this suffering stuff, I hate this. And man, I, I, that following stuff, Jesus stuff in the beginning was really easy, but then they started to hate me. I don't know if I want to keep with Jesus. And he's like, you want to keep with Jesus. You want to run with Jesus. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't let your faith give out on Jesus. Why? Because he holds the universe together in his hands. Some of you, look at me, are really excited that you built your deck in your backyard. You're like, honey, look. Jesus gets to go, dad, look at everything. You, me, birds, cats, why? Grass, like, you know, it's amazing that Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one that we said indwell, I mean, his spirit's in me, he's the one that's holding it all together, which means he's holding you and you, I can point at you all, hold it all. It means there's not anything out of place. There's nothing out of his hand. So if my life goes to crap tomorrow, whose hand am I still in? Just say Jesus or God, you're in church. It's a really good dart throw, okay? Jesus' hand. Who's holding this whole thing together? Whose creation is this? Jesus, Jesus, and Jesus. And it bolsters the faith. Because no matter what, no matter where I go, if I go to the depths of the sea, David says this in the Psalms, King David, you are there. I can't get away from him. Why are you trying? Some of us are trying to get away from the God who's like, where are you going, little peanut? You know what I mean? And it fills me with like, I want to, if, if right here, we can know this God, it's awe-inspiring to think that that God, that universe, those telescopic pictures of the universe, we know the God that holds it, which means he's way bigger than we give him credit for. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Um, thing, like the sun, right? It's just bunks of gases and stuff interacting. But then there's this glow, there's this light emanating from the sun. That's radiance. That's radiating out from a central thing. The radiance of the glory of God is Jesus Christ. Jesus, God is this, I mean, there's power and there's holiness and there's goodness and there's all the things and characteristics of God. It's God hit on high radiating out of that, the light that shows off the goodness of God is Jesus Christ. 
That's what the word is declaring to us. And the exact imprint of his nature. Now, we don't do this anymore, but some of you probably do because you're real into Etsy and crafts. Anybody have one of those little wax things and you like dipping in the... Lois, that's what up. You know what I mean? So that is the picture the writer of Hebrews has. The signet ring. It's got the family crest on it. And when you press it into hot wax, it impresses the image of the family. Jesus Christ shows up and shows off what God is like. So if you want to know what God is like, you don't have to be like, I guess I have to go to India. I guess I have to go back to the West. No, you actually have a Bible that tells you what the Son of God is like, what he said, and how to know him and how to be with him forever. You actually know that right now. There's no guessing, which is amazing, the lengths that God went through through history to get us a book that would tell us how to know him. Why? He wants to know you. I'll say that again because some of you heard that in a Sunday school room voice. The God of heaven and earth, the one who is and has no match, the one that if you were to see him now, you'd be like, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips from people of unclean lips. You would go, he wants to know you. He wants to know you. And he went through great lengths to free you from everything that binds you. He went to great lengths, sacrificing his son on a cross that you might be free of sin. The very thing that in Adam, Jesus Christ was like, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to reconnect humanity, the ones that I created in my image, to be with me. This is the Jesus that we know, and this is why Jesus, and the writer of Hebrews is going, Jesus was a fundamentally different different message and of a different nature than any other thing. So the other prophets, prophets of old, Isaiah, Jeremiah, major minor prophets, they gave a message from God, but Jesus is the word of God. He's literally, here it is, don't miss it. And it says in verse four, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name that he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, let's all confess something that we don't ever say. The Bible is hard to read sometimes. Yeah? Everybody want to put all your, it's hard to read sometimes? So what happens is, guys that write the book of Hebrews, they start quoting random stuff, but they don't tell you they're quoting random stuff. And so he's quoting 2 Samuel. And what he's talking about is he's got King David. Everybody know King David, lit an ephod, killed Goliath with a stone, you know that whole story? Well, he has a son, Solomon. But David's desire was to build the temple of God, but he was told no because he had too much blood on his hands. And so it came to his son Solomon to build the temple. But even in that, that's what the writer's going. There's a, there's a image and there's a desire in David, but then ultimately what shows it off is the son. And all is what you got to understand in context. In Luke 24, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And after his resurrection, and I would love to have, this would be good Bible teaching, Jesus Christ himself opens up the Old Testament scriptures and tells his disciples how they are all about him. Who doesn't want to be on that road with Jesus, yeah? I said it again. Who doesn't want Jesus Christ himself to be like, hey, you see that story about Jacob? That actually points to me. You see that temple structure? That actually points to me. 
You see that prophet there? He actually is talking about me. And there are. You know these major prophecies about Jesus, Micah 5.2, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. We know those big ones, but all of it points to Jesus because Solomon was David's son and he did build the temple, but he was also an idiot. He had 700 wives. Anybody? His temple gets torn down, but who also is David's son? Just keep going, keep having sons, keep having kids. We just, we've talked about them all morning. Jesus Christ is in the line of David. And so every story and every promise, and even the one the Hebrews is quoting about 2 Solomon, Solomon gave a kind of a picture. There's gonna be this temple, there's gonna be this place of worship, but Jesus is the fullness of it. He is the temple, like where the presence of God is because he's God. And he's going to bring that to the people. They don't have to go to a certain temple in a certain place and sacrifice a certain animal. He's gonna do all of it. So all the Bible points to one person, to Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is superior to every prophet that has ever existed. Jesus is superior to every angel that's ever shown up and talked. Jesus is superior in every way. This is the message of Hebrews 1. So you know what you get to say? Jesus is superior to everything. To all things. Everything bows under the authority of the Son. But he, he continues on. He says, there's, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I could preach a whole month on that verse. Why? There's weight in there. So here's the reality. The priests stood 24-7, the temple complex had a fire going. And 24-7, men and women like you who had sinned, who had tried, transgressed the law of God, would bring their pigeon or they'd bring their goat or they'd bring their sheep, whatever was according to the law, and the priest would sacrifice that animal, let out its blood, burn its body, and then go, God, free them from their sin. That's happening, and you had to do it at least once a year. They always were standing. Can you picture for about a... Let's just say for the last 10 years, that's what we did every Sunday. Picture what this looks like. How much blood are we dealing with? How many dead carcasses? I mean, it's just, that's the picture, right? And so then you have Jesus showing up going, I'm the perfect sacrifice. I'm the Lamb of God. And he dies, he rises from the dead, and he goes, it's finished. And then he gets to heaven, Jesus Christ, rises from the dead, walks with the disciples, teaches them, everything points to me, boys. And then he floats up to heaven, peace. And when he gets there, picture it, all of heaven with bated breath watches the Son of God sit down. Why? There's nothing else to do. I did it. I did what my father told me to do. I did what fulfilled all the law. I freed him. He sits down. And I just picture all the angels and all the elders on their thrones up there, Revelation 9, and all the creatures with their eyeballs all over the place going, whoa! And just freaking out because the Son of God sat down because he finished what humanity has been caught up in, and now we're free if we'll come to the Son. This is the Jesus that you can know. This is the Jesus that after making purification for sins, he made the purification for sins, which is great because I don't have to. He did it. 
Other prophets give instructions about God, what you have to do, don't do this, do that, you better watch that. But Jesus shows up and goes, I'm gonna do it, you just need to come to me. Christ is superior to all the prophets, all the angels, and any other spiritual authority. Christ is superior to all things. And he's going to tell us two things about why. Prophets and angels gave the word of God, Jesus was the word of God. I've said that already. But if you want to hear this more, and I'm only going to touch on it briefly, Tim Keller, anybody ever heard that name? Uh, Redeemer, Presbyterian up in New York. He gave a sermon called The True and Better, and he literally goes from Genesis through the whole Bible, and he goes, Jesus is the true and better. Jesus is the true and better Adam. Jesus is the true and better Isaac. Jesus is the true and better Jacob. And he begins to show, okay, the first Adam disobeyed God and plunged all humanity into sin and brokenness with God. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, was the true and better version of that that led his people into freedom and sacrificed his own life to free them. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was actually offered up to please God. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled with God but then paid for our injustice. Like this is Jesus is the true and better Joseph the true and better Moses, the true and better, all the Old Testament and all the prophets point to one man. And you and I get to know him. You get to know Jesus Christ if you want to, which is mind-boggling to me that God's just like, oh no, you're gonna know him. But he's like, choose. Do you wanna give me your life or not? Follow me is an invitation, is it not? So that means you can go, I don't wanna follow you today. Jesus is better than the angels and the prophets and has authority over all things. But he's also better because he offers a totally different kind of salvation. Jesus offers a different kind of salvation. What I mean is a lot of religion is if you obey, then you're accepted. Everybody walked in that system for a while. It's soul crushing. If you don't cuss and don't date people who do, you're good with God. That is religion, and that is the moral system, that's the law. But Jesus Christ shows up and goes, I'm going to pay for you to be accepted into the family of God, and you can't earn it. It is by grace through faith that you are saved, and you can't even boast about it because you didn't do it. Before you were, God did. God did. And he goes, come here, I'll make you clean. I'll get all that shame and all that guilt and all that sin and all the requirements of the law. My son paid for them. You come to me in acceptance, then you obey, which is very, very different. Very different. I'll put it in the realm of I love my wife, Anna. I love her. I just, everything about her. Five foot three, loves Jesus better than me. Everything about her. She's pretty. She smells nice. And she's not a man. I love it, okay? So, ADD, all right? So when I fell in love with Anna, I immediately did one thing. I stopped dating everyone else. I put that in the realm of because, I would, because I'm in love with her, because I know and I accepted and I encountered the love of God, that's why I obey him. I don't obey him so I can be accepted or so I can be loved. That'll get you into a real, really weird willpower driven. If you're a type A-er, you love that system. But God blew that system to smithereens and says, come to me if you're weary, if you're heavy laden, if you're a sinner, if you need healing, 
if you're a prostitute, if you're, a, if you're, if you, no one wants you on the earth, get over here and I'll make you a son or daughter. That God? Yeah, come here. Then, because of that love, because of the love of God being made manifest on the earth, I'm encountering God. I'm now a son. That's why I want to obey him. And it changes, and I know it sounds similar, but it's not the same at all. You ever met a kid that's not quite sure if dad's gonna hit him or not? And how that kid lives? But if you meet a kid that knows they're loved, if they throw the vase against the wall, dad's like, well, you sure didn't make a mess there, buddy. You're like, don't be that parent either. But God's, God literally, he paid for it all. And so many of us, we're still trying to earn something that's freely given. But there's a simplicity and a beauty in this Jesus who literally is like, come here. I'm a, there's a different way, and I'm the way. So let me ask a question. It's going to sound a little, I don't know. So what? Like, so what? Who cares that Jesus is greater than the prophets and the angels and has authority? Who cares? Right? I mean, the writer of Hebrews is actually going to head that question off. Because when you're sitting in suffering, and some of you in this room, you know what suffering feels like. You know what the funeral feels like and the cancer diagnosis. So you sit here, and that's the Hebrew hearers. They're hearing this through the lens. We're suffering this is hard, you're telling us to have faith, and you're telling us how great Jesus is. We hear that the same way they do, and we go, so what? He's going to tell us a couple things in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declares by angels provided to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So if you're asking, so what, or what do I do with this knowledge? He actually tells us two things in the scripture, the writer of Hebrews. Number one, don't neglect God's final word in Christ. Now, I've learned that it's easy to neglect Jesus. Now, I came to him when I was 17, but every day when I get up, there's choices being made. Will I neglect the Son of God, or will I give him my attention? You and I have the same decisions every day. And it's really hard some days. Doesn't it just feel so easy to get pulled into the rip current of the day that all of a sudden it's three o'clock, you're kind of hungry, kind of hangry, and you're like, what did I even do today? How did I get here? That's human. That's just being a human. But we, we say, and we biblically can declare that we can know the living son of God. So what we have to do is not willpower the thing, but there is discipline. That's a real thing in the Christian life. And neglect is a choice. Now put it in human terms. The wife that I love, I can neglect her, right? Husbands, you can neglect your wife. Some of the wives are like, take her on a date, prove her wrong, all right? But what would that require? If I was gonna not neglect Anna, well, I'd have to put the date on the calendar. And I'd have to wake up and get over myself and be like, babe, did you sleep okay? I don't like to talk in the morning. Anybody else? Hate it. I don't, the, the words aren't even there, all right? Like, as a man, I don't even know where the words are. It's 7 a.m. She's like, how you doing? I'm like, what are you thinking about? I'm like, literally, there's nothing. There's not anything in here, okay? She's like, that, does, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me, Andrew. And I'm like, because you're a woman. 
So she's got 1,700 things going on and I got nothing, right? So in that moment, I can neglect her by being like, I don't have words, but you know what I do because I love her? I talk to her. You know what I do because I love her? I go on dates with her. You know what I do because I love her? Every time we get done with dinner, I put the dishes away. You know what I do because I love her? I take a walk with her after dinner. Same thing with God. You can neglect God. This is a great message. Humanity can be redeemed from their sin and be saved from hell and spend life with God on high forever. You can neglect that. You can neglect that. Why would we neglect that? That's my question all day long. I get to the end of the day, I'm like, why did I neglect that? So if you want to be a lover of God, you need to form your life in a way that goes, I will not neglect this this son of God. I will not neglect him today. So that's gonna be like, I get up early sometimes so I can spend time with Jesus before I have to, not even have to, get to love my family. Why? Because four kids takes attention. But who, who do I want my first attention? I want the Lord to have my first attention. Why in the middle of my day sometimes will I go, I don't want to even eat lunch. I'm going to go walk and take a prayer walk. Why? Because I don't want to neglect what the great goodness of God is. You can neglect it, and that's what he's going. Don't neglect this. How we, shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Jesus told a parable once, and it was about a vineyard. Uh, and how the owner of the vineyard kept sending messengers to warn them that they needed to pay for their vineyard, right? Now, the guys conspire that are renting the vineyard, and they kill one servant, or they beat one servant and send him home. Finally, the owner of the vineyard says, I know what I'll do. I'll send my son. That'll get their attention, and they kill the son. Why did Jesus tell that parable? Well, I mean, and I think we could even go farther than that. So what would happen if God on high is like, I own the whole earth, I'm holding it all in my hands. Son, go down there and show them that I'm real. Show them that I love them. Show them. And then the son of God comes and he shows off the goodness of God. Not even that, but then he gets killed by the vineyard owners. But then he doesn't stay dead. Jesus Christ rises from the dead and goes, guys, Feel my wrist. I'm alive. I'll prove the whole thing to you. What happens when you ignore that? What happens when you go, eh, I think Jesus might have risen from the dead. Either he rose from the dead or we're all morons. You want me to say that again? You all think I'm being like sacrilegious. I'm not. Either Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead or this is stupid. What are we doing right now? Think about it. What are we doing if he didn't rise from the dead? I've put my whole life on that one fact. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, bodily, spiritually, in every way possible, rose from the dead, conquering death, sin, Satan, and hell. That is the truth. And there's power and there's life there because he declared there was. What happens if you neglect that? Well, you missed out on the greatest news that's ever been. Well, maybe you come to, it, come to him and you go, yeah, I'm a Christian, but you don't actually follow him. You don't actually give him your heart. You actually obey because you want him to like you, but you're not quite sure if this heaven things or not. So you kind of live half in, half out. You just live one of those weird Christian life. I don't even know what I'm doing with my body right now. Like, right? You're like, please don't do that anymore. What, what happens when you neglect 
the most important person in the whole universe. The one who actually created it all. Well, that's what he's, the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us not to do. N.T. Wright, who I don't always agree with, but he has deep thoughts. He said, how can you live with the, ter- the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human, that the fire has become flesh, that life itself has walked into our midst? Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality of the world or it is a sham, a total nonsense. Most people, unable to cope with either of these two things, are condemned to live in the shallow world in between. There is a reality to knowing God. That's what I've been telling you since I got up here. It is not about facts. It is not about obedience. It's not about fulfilling a law. It's about knowing a person. And that person is named Jesus. And when I met him, it changed the whole trajectory of my life. And I keep meeting him in new ways. Why? Because he's infinite and awesome. And there's not a ceiling to getting to know him. And so as we come here today, my hope is you won't be like, I'm just going to live in the shallow. No, but you'll rise up with me and go, we're not going to neglect this guy anymore. We are not going to neglect the son of God. And he says one more thing, and then what time? Okay, yeah. He says, don't drift away. Uh, a, a thing that I learned um, probably a couple years ago is godliness is not tripped into. You don't just fall out of your bed, and all of a sudden you're like, holy. That's not how it works. You actually need to pursue the Lord. You actually need to go after him. Hebrews, later on, and we'll talk about this in a couple weeks, uh, says that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. So our tendency as humans, and this is real, like our tendency is not, we don't gradually get hotter, we actually gradually get colder. So spiritually speaking, we are gradually drifting if we're not pursuing Now, that doesn't put the onus on me because equally so, I believe right now the God of heaven and earth is pursuing you, and he's way better at it than I am. But picture this with me, and this is another thing I've learned. Uh, I've talked about this before. Moses, let my people go, Moses. Before he's let my people go, Moses, he's in the, the desert tending sheep, and he's walking along tending the sheep, and he sees the most peculiar thing. He sees a bush on fire. And what does the Bible say that Moses does? It says that Moses turned his side to see this peculiar thing, which means Moses could have kept walking, but instead he went, that's weird. And then he encountered God. So you can, you can drift. You know that, right? And some of us were just sitting here like, all right, God, do the stuff. Get me, do it. Come on. This is what we do all day long. And you put it all on God. God's going to do it. And yes, God's going to do it because he's sovereign and all the big words that you learned in Sunday school. But there is a moment where the human heart goes, I will not drift today. And I will put to death sin in my heart. And I will join the Holy Spirit in spirit-wrought activity to put to death, therefore, whatever's earthly in me. Colossians 3. I'm quoting Bible to you. 
There is a moment where the human heart goes, I'm going to join God in the activity of God that gets me closer to him, not farther. Don't drift from this faith. Now, sometimes life just sucker punches you. Anybody been there? Life just like, you're like, ugh, and you're like, ugh, you're like, God, and you can't even get your bearings. I understand all that. This isn't like, hey, you suck because you're drifting. I drift, I feel like some weeks I drift, and then by the time I get to Sunday, I'm like, thank God, <laughs> I'm not going to neglect you. And then it's Monday, and I'm like, oh, I neglect you again. There is so much grace. Nobody in here is perfect. Maybe you. I mean, you know what I mean? Nobody. Nobody in here is killing it 100 out of 100. All I'm wanting to do is let the word of God go, hey, don't neg- if you neglect this, what good is it? If you drift away from him, you're drifting away from the God who holds all things in his hands, is the radiance of the glory of God, who sat down after he provided purification for your sins, and you can come to him right now. And so as we end with those two things, don't drift and don't neglect. Don't drift and don't neglect. I want to zoom ahead in the book to actually Hebrews 11 just because I like Hebrews 11 and I want to read it as many times as possible in the next three weeks. In Hebrews 11, it's called the Hall of Faith. So picture you're walking down a big hallway. It's got columns with like big-named faith-filled people of faith. And you're walking down this hall and it's just like faith, 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 faith. That's the picture. Because what the writer of Hebrews wants his people to do and what I want our people to do is to live by faith, not by sight, which is easier said than done. Because in all this not neglecting and all this not drifting and all this Jesus is the son of God and all this long ago at many times, in many ways God spoke, but now he spoke by his son, there's kind of two ways that can be lived out in your life right now. Now, he's going to give us two groups. One group, I hope you're all in. The second group is the reality most of us are going to walk in. You'll see what I mean here in a second. Hebrews 11, verse 32. Well, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. So what's the writer of Hebrews doing even longer into his book? He's going, faith, faith, have faith in the Son of God. And faith in the Son of God can do some pretty crazy stuff. Anybody opened or closed the mouth of a lion in here? Oh, not today? Me either, okay? But he also says crazy stuff. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Armies were routed. Why? With one word, faith. So what's your faith in, and how big is it? And one of my favorite things to do is, like, Jesus didn't say you needed a whole bucket of it. He said you needed what? Faith as big as a? Just a little bit in this son of God, and a lot happens. So that's group one. Everybody want to be in group one? Routing armies, kicking lines in the face, Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, everybody wants group one. Unfortunately, there's a group two, and this is a reality. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. 
Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. Who wants group two? Nobody, right? But he's painting a reality that we think, well, I'm going to come to the Son of God, and then I'm going to be Barak or Gideon or Samson, and I'm going to kill the Philistines and rule the lions, and dead are going to be rising, and healings all over the place. But then he goes, there was another group, and they had faith in the Son of God, and they counted it a joy to suffer for him. And then they went about destitute, wearing rags, and they are great. So you're walking down the hall of faith, and you see the usual suspects. Hey, King David. Oh, Moses. Oh, some guy, I don't know his name, but he died for the Son of God. Oh, a woman who wouldn't refuse and wouldn't deny Jesus and was shot in the head. Same hall of faith, right? Same real life people in this room. And there's a choice. Will I live by faith in the Son of God when it's good? And will I live by faith in the Son of God when it's bad? Will I follow Jesus regardless? And I think that's the question we're in with. Is he worth following? Is he worth forsaking everything for? Is Jesus Christ truly better? Is he better? Because this world, the promise wasn't wealth and health and goodness. I believe I feel the goodness of God every day of my life, but the promise was I get him. Not that my kids will always be safe. The promise is I get him, not that my body won't ever fail. The promise is I get him, and he's better than anything. So will you ask yourself that question? Um, Because the author says don't drift, because I think the rest of your life, you know what Satan wants you to do? Neglect this great salvation. You know what your own flesh might want to do someday? Drift away from this Jesus. I think even God himself orchestrates circumstances to test, will you follow me? Will you trust me here? And not because he's hurting us, he's trying to pry our hands off what does not compare. So I'd like to do the same thing to end where we started. Um, Dave, is Dave in here? Worship first, get up here, great. What time's this service over? Thank you. I got really nervous because last time I did this, I didn't know. I want to put you in that same position of just like, all right, more aware of the presence of the Lord, and then I'm going to pray a simple prayer. I want you to let God pour his love over your life. I know that sounds really like poetic. It's not. There's a reality to encountering the love of God. It takes hearts of stone and makes them flesh. It makes people that are trying to earn Love, which we're trying to obey to be accepted, realize I'm accepted by the Son of God. Therefore, I am loved, and therefore, I will obey. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com, or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week, and God bless.